0: The reading tonight is taken from Luke 8, verses 4 through 8. Luke 8, verses 4 through 8. And when a great crowd was gathered, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of air, birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock. And as it grew up it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things he called out, He who he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Good evening, church. How are we feeling tonight? Wide awake? No? Well, if I'm a step slow tonight, it's because I am completely exhausted after trying to keep up with Betty Lane all day. She has wore me out. I thought it was going to be easy uh, hanging with Betty, but hanging with Betty was the hard part. She's got a hop in her steps still, so we thank Betty for blessing our children today and every Sunday as she teaches them. We're working our way through our Sunday night teaching series on the way of salvation, and as we mentioned last week, in our heritage, in our history, in the churches of Christ, um, the doctrine of how a person is saved got condensed beautifully into what we come to know as the plan of salvation or the steps of salvation, and we even uh, more um, succinctly have described that as you know the five finger exercise, as we mentioned last week, and. In fact, as uh, we joked about there being a sixth step, like being faithful at the end, um, and I joked about not being able to do it on one hand, Renee actually showed me that you can do it on one hand. So would you all like to see how to do it on one hand, six steps? No? Okay, never mind. (laughs) All right, you ready? So I have to do it this way. You hear the Word of God. You believe. You repent. You confess. You're baptized, get it? Keith, do you get it? Okay. Keith was looking at me. And then you live faithfully. That was good. Great. I like that. So we accomplished our goal so we can, I guess, pack this thing up and go home. Um, You know, we've called this, it's it's the plan of salvation, the, the way of salvation, the five steps of the six. I want to make sure you have a very, very clear vision of what the goal is for our teaching on Sunday nights for July and August so that you understand what we're doing. And the first, thing I, the first goal that we have of going back into each one of these steps and delivering a message about them is to, first of all, go back into them and do the hard work that people before us did on these steps. Okay. To do the hard work. You see, as I mentioned last week, the original five steps didn't have hear, believe, repent, confess, baptism. That wasn't the first five. Uh, men and women of God studied deeply into the scriptures and and, and understood the path of the way to salvation. And so um, what I want us to do is not just take that for granted and give you the five steps in just one short little explanation, but do the hard work that people before us have done to deeply understand the practices of salvation. Number two, so that's goal number one, do the work. Goal number two is I believe that we need to, it's, it's our turn in this generation to reframe some of the shortcuts that have dissolved the significance of these vital teachings. Um, one of the challenges is as we develop a common language to explain things quicker, like, you know, the plan of salvation... Like that phrase, the plan of salvation, has underneath it years and years of depth and study and work. And as we say things like the plan of salvation or the steps or the five steps or hear, believe, repent, confess, baptism, um, sometimes those shortcuts dissolve the depth and significance of them as we transfer them to each other and on and on to our generation. So what I want to do is um, come back and reframe those shortcuts So that we can develop the significance. And the first way is that I don't believe using the word steps is actually accurate as we understand the scripture. I think the best word for us to use, this is my recommendation, I'd love to talk more about it, but I believe the best word we can use is the practices of salvation. Because we don't stop hearing the word of God. We don't stop confession. We don't stop repentance. And in fact, we don't stop dying to self and living to Christ. Even though we're baptized once, Paul said, I die daily. So none of these things do we stop once we become a Christian. So they're not steps that we just complete and finish, but really the practices that a believing Christian engages in the rest of his or her life. The second thing I want to do is clarify salvation. And so we got to make sure we understand what we're talking about. We're being delivered. Salvation is always deliverance from the problem that's in front of you. In the Old Testament, David would call out for salvation from God and there would be times that he would be looking at an army of another nation and God would bring salvation to His people. He would deliver them from the problem in front of them. Or maybe David was facing an internal struggle and he would cry out to God for salvation. And he would say, salvation comes from the Lord. And what he's talking about is being delivered from the problem that's in front of you. And so we want to make sure that we have a clear understanding of what our problem is, that we lost our relationship, our connection with our Creator, who is the source of our life, joy, and peace. And because we've lost that, what we do is we take other things in this life, even good things, and try to get from them, Life, joy, peace, satisfaction, what we're supposed to get from God, that's our problem. We make gods out of things that are not gods and and forget God. We've broken that relationship. And salvation, being delivered from that problem and restored to our relationship with God, is the gift that most certainly comes through Jesus Christ. And so what we have as we grow in that is that we come to know God and we come to be known by God. We have a closeness with Him. That's the second goal, to reframe the shortcuts. The third goal is that we would strengthen our intergenerational conversion. As children are raised in the pews, sometimes they get used to our vernacular and our language and our Bible teaching. And so what we want to do is strengthen the bond from parent to child, from grandparent to grandchild. As we transfer the faith to the next generation, we want to do this well. And so I want to teach those young people that are in our audience, that are not yet Christians, what the process is, but at the same time, strengthen those parents and grandparents who are Christians on how to teach these things in a more meaningful and deep way. And obviously our last goal is to convert somebody who's not a Christian. And so, last week we dug into the diagnosis, our sin, and we learned that's a result of suppressing what is true about God and departing from Him and losing our life, our joy, and our peace. And the result of that brokenness is what we see in the world today, evil, uh, problems, suffering. And so um, the evil in the world and the evil within us is all around. And so this can only happen, this relationship being restored to God can only happen through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we're gifted that as we learn to trust Him more and more. This trust, this faith, That we're supposed to have in the man of Jesus Christ and his work grows in its obedience to him and one of the first things we're going to learn about tonight is the practice of obedience of hearing him listening who would have ever thought how important the idea of listening is in fact Um, There are sometimes that the idea of hearing you know the five steps hearing is kind of negligible You know, I'm not sure we really need it It's one of those necessary evils or it's just a it's an obvious or a given You know, we don't really need to cover hearing because obviously you just got to hear what God says and then you can believe it So hearing is just a byproduct or a necessary evil of believing But that's not the way Jesus positioned the practice of good faithful listening hearing in fact It's the only one that he would cry out and say, take heed how you actually do this. You know, Jesus didn't cry out and say, take heed how you actually repent. Or take heed how you believe. Or take heed how you're baptized. He said, take heed how you are listening. Pay attention to the way that you hear. It was last fall, uh, early fall, about August or September. I was spending some of my time in the morning um, in the Gospel of Luke. And I came to chapter 8. And I was stuck on this really strange portion of Luke chapter eight, verses 8, 16 through 18, where Jesus finishes explaining the parable that Mike just read for us of the soil and the seed." And I don't know where Jesus just says something like, "No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar, or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light, For nothing is hidden that will not be known nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light take care then how you hear and he goes on and i was spending time thinking about the parable of the sower and the soils and then you go down to the story of jesus and his mother's his mother and his brothers they come to him after that message of the lamp and the jar and then it's jesus calming the storm and i just couldn't wrap my mind around why luke writing a detailed narrative to people who don't yet believe about Who Jesus is and how he's going to convert them. Why does this make, this doesn't even make sense. You know, he finishes this parable, then he says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar. He flips the parable, you know, the the analogy. As I spent time thinking through this, I drew back. I noticed that the entire section, verse 1 through verse 25, is Luke teaching us how to hear teaching us how to hear. The whole thing is. He tells us a parable of the sower and the the, the seed and the soils. And then he says this little strange lamp in a jar kind of idea, meaning that once you have something, like once you know it, you're accountable for what you know. No one lights a lamp and then hides that lamp. You're accountable for what you know. But then Jesus' mother and his brothers come, and they say, hey, your mother and brothers are here. And Jesus says, My family are the people that hear God's word and do it. And then Jesus gets onto a boat and the storm is raging and he's, you know, relaxing and they're kind of worried about that. And he stands up and Jesus with his mouth speaks to the storm. And what does the storm do? It it listens to Jesus. And the disciples were amazed because they said, wow, the wind and the waves obey him. What does it mean to really listen? It means to actually do the words that Jesus has said. That's what it means to listen. It really stood out to me. I want to share with you how convicted I was about the importance of listening. And the fact is, I've never really seen the parable of the sower and the seed and the soils as a parable all about how you listen. That's what the whole thing is about. How do you hear what kind of hearer are you? That's what the four soils are about. I always kind of have it, had it positioned in my mind that it was about you know, being a good soil and maybe a receptive soil or getting the weeds out of my soil, but it's really about how you hear Jesus. That's what it's about. So three things we're going to do very quickly. One, why is hearing important? Why does it matter? Number two, Jesus gives us a test for our hearing. A very, very distinct, clear test on how you hear. And number three, we'll finish with, okay, how do we actually hear Jesus? So let's start with why hearing matters. And if you go back to verse 1, Luke tells us what Christ is proclaiming. Now, this is a question that the majority of non-Christians and a good majority of Christians, unfortunately, uh, would oftentimes miss. And the question is this. Why did Jesus Christ come to earth? What did he come to do? What was his mission? What was he trying to accomplish? And the most frequent answer that we oftentimes hear is that Jesus came for forgiveness of sins. Now, that's absolutely true. And if that's the only reason he came was just to give us forgiveness, that would be a beautiful gift. That would be expunging our conscience and cleansing our guilt and giving us freedom from that. That would be fantastic. But forgiveness is just the entry, the beginning of why Jesus came. This is a question that you've got to think about deeply of why did Jesus really come and understand the depth of it. Here's why hearing is so important. There's a bigger truth to why Jesus came than just to let people off the hook or take the punishment for people. And verse 1, it says, So afterwards he went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. You see, what Jesus was doing was coming to reestablish his reign over his people. He was bringing the kingdom of God. Remember, he prayed to his father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What he was coming to do was to begin to reestablish His kingdom, His rule, His sovereignty on this earth. And it's not going to be like any other kingdom that you've ever seen or ever dreamed of. It's not going to act like any other kingdom. He's going to establish it differently. He's going to grow it differently than anyone else. But what He's going to do is slowly but surely, until the last day, begin to bring all things under His rule and His control. And in 1 Corinthians 15 says, On that last day, he'll hand all things over to his father, and that final enemy, death, will be destroyed, and he will reign and rule over all things. Jesus was coming to reestablish the kingdom. Now this is what makes hearing so important, okay? That you understand why he came, that he came to establish a kingdom that he might rule This is why hearing is so important. The first reason it's so important is that the message of Jesus Christ is so unique. It's really strange. Both Christians and non-Christians have to continue to place themselves under the message of Jesus Christ and not take it for granted, not take it lightly, not just figure that they have it all considered and figured out. But we have to constantly be bringing ourselves under the message of Jesus because there are so many alternative messages that are seeking to control and rule you, that the message of Jesus and His kingdom has to be something that's constantly sowed on your heart, constantly. You see, there's no other kingdom in the world that comes the way Jesus' kingdoms come. You see, in the day of maybe, let's say, Alexander the Great, if his kingdom came into a town, you know, there were only two kinds of people left. There were those that were in the kingdom And there were those that were dead. That's the way his kingdom came. And every kingdom in the world comes by force, by coercion, and by power, by domination. It comes into a place and it says you're either part of the kingdom or you're dead. And you know you're part of the kingdom because you get a tax bill and you got to pay that thing. That's how you know. You know, even democracy, even democracy is a version of coercion of the majority. If 55% of the people vote for a particular leader and 45% do not, the 45% still are under the rule or the authority of the one that the 55% chose. Not by their will, but by the choice of the majority. Do you see what I mean? There's no kingdom in this world that comes like the kingdom of Christ. In fact, here's how Jesus here's what he said he would do to establish his kingdom. He said, "I will forego all of my power. I'll let go all of my wealth. I'll give up all of my honor and my glory, and I'll suffer at the hands of sinful people, unjust people. I'll die because of them, but then I'll resurrect back to life three days later so my Father then can give life to those very people that hung me on a cross. And I'll win them back. I'll win all people back through the dramatic demonstration of grace and love. That is the strangest message in the world. And you can be a Christian for 10, 15, 20, or 30 years, and you have to constantly position yourself underneath that message. Because you and I will be so um, taught by the world that that power and coercion is how kingdoms grow. That's not how Jesus' kingdom comes. You see, most kings, all kings of this world, are good at getting a hearing. They're vocal. They demand you to listen. But the kingdom of Jesus comes by those who are willing to give a hearing. Those who are willing to listen. The second reason that we have to listen, not only because the message is so unique that you can't stop thinking about it, the second reason is that hearing models the posture of entrance. Hearing models. The entire way that you position yourself to enter this kingdom because it's completely receptive. It's completely receptive. You see, to join a cause. Um, any kind of cause in our culture, whether it's a social justice movement or whether it's a, you know, a type of political arrangement, to join a cause, you usually have to be able to do something, to contribute something. Even if you're just the intern that runs and gets coffee and brings it back for the people that actually know what they're doing. You have to have some, something you can contribute to the group to join into this cause. But to join the kingdom of heaven, he actually says it's not what you bring that gets you in. There's no resume that brings you entrance into this kingdom. There's no pride that can allow you to strut through the doors of this kingdom. In fact, we come to this kingdom with empty hands and simply a receptive heart. And if you walk to the kingdom with anything in your hands, those things in your hands will bar you from entrance. You cannot enter the kingdom save a posture of receptance. You can't. And so, the posture of hearing models how we enter this relationship with Jesus Christ. So, because this message is so unique, and your entrance is so strange, it's different than anything else in this world. Hearing Jesus by faith matters so much; it's the only way in. So, we've got to do. We've got to test our hearing. That's what the parable is all about. Um, I honestly just want to lay this on you, uh, you, know, without any reservation. So, I just want to forewarn you that this test of hearing is brutal. It's going to be brutal in all of us because we're not all great listeners, especially when it comes to listening to Christ. No one is exempt from this test and just passes it with flying colors. So I just want to tell you that this parable provides us a guide to test our own hearing. But what's unique about this is that this practice, hearing, is the only one really in the list of things you know hearing believing repenting confessing that is so subjective for you to test you know we can watch you be baptized and we can receive your verbal confession and we can pray with you as you as you repent now you might be doing those things for false motives but we can kind of check those things with you but hearing is completely on you and you've got to do this test so i'm going to run through it quickly As I said, fair warning, it's brutal. Um, This one hurt all week as I thought through it. you got to listen to the prepositions. Looking down in verse uh, 11, listen to the prepositions that describe each soil. Okay, And that is your key indicator in your Bible study from Luke uh, 8, 11 through 15. The prepositions that describe the soil. Let's start with the first one. Now the parable of the soil. uh, Now the parable is this, verse 11. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Did you catch the preposition having to do with the path? Along. Near and close, but not in. The seed was along the path. Meaning it got close to it, but it never penetrated. You see, this first Type of hearing is hearing God with a hard heart listening with our intellect only this is this means it doesn't penetrate our heart nothing about the message ever really stirs us deeply it doesn't bring any overwhelming guilt it doesn't cause any deep humility it doesn't bring any soul reviving love it doesn't cause you to walk with a limp because you know that you are guilty It doesn't cause you to walk with some assurance and confidence because you know that you're loved. It doesn't cause you to to desire sin any less because you love sin still. This is what it means to listen with a hard heart. It means to listen with our minds only, our intellect only, and not be affected in our will and in our emotion and who we are. That's what it means to listen with a hard heart. And so you can be exposed to the seed week after week after week. And in fact, you can actually have some of the seed near you and close to you. As he said, it's along the path. The bird didn't take maybe all the seed, so it can still lay there. And you might even be able to position some of the pieces of the seed in a sensible order and explain what the seed is doing. But if the seed isn't penetrating your own heart and not moving you constitutionally from the inside out, It has no effect on you. And that's listening with a hard heart. The second one he says in verse 12, I'm sorry, verse 13. And the ones on or upon the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing they fall away. See, the second preposition was upon. Meaning landed on, so it's there, it's sitting on it, but it doesn't yet have any depth. This isn't listening with a hard heart, this is listening with a shallow heart. I would say this means listening with the emotions only where God stirs your emotions and the, the, whatever the message might be of that day, whether it's the message of the glory of the cross or the ugliness of sin, whatever that message is, that seed falls on your heart. And if the soil is shallow, it will spring up the emotion of that message. If it's the cross, you might feel loved that day. If it's sin, you might feel depressed that day. But because there's no root in you, whatever emotion you experience, you experience that. And then the next day the sun comes and it just kind of withers that experience away. Are you following with me what this is? This this shallow heart? That there's still rock and hardness within you, that you're receiving the word, that you're hearing it, and that the message, the intent of the message is causing a reaction in you, but there's no depth in you that anchors that to survive the sun and the rain so that fruit might come. You just are a flash in the pan of emotion. And so maybe you doubt, maybe you give up, maybe you quit, maybe you even internally quit listening. A shallow heart with rock in the soil causes us to listen, but not to be changed. You see, the landscape of shallow soil never changes. You might be able to put a flower here or maybe try to plant something there, but the rock is the landscape and it doesn't change. What Jesus is trying to do with his word is change the landscape of your soil. So we've got listening with a hard heart, listening with the emotion only, our shallow heart. The third one, in verse, I believe this is 14. Yeah. And as for what fell among the thorns. Did you catch the preposition there? Among. Among means around others. So it fell there. It's in the soil, but it's one of many. This isn't listening with a hard heart or a shallow heart. What Jesus is talking about here is listening with a divided heart. Meaning, this seed takes root, it goes into the soil, it springs up life. There's a plant that's there, but it's not the only plant that the gardener must tend to. There's other plants, there's weeds and there's thorns and there's thistle and there's all kinds of other problems there. And so, this seed has found soil, it's even taken root it just has to share the ground with other plants and what's that mean to share the ground it means to share all of the energy for life that's there you see in the soil we channel nutrients to these plants to cause them to grow and so this seed is among other plants that are in this place and so the nutrients the energy of life that is there to give life to something is being divided amongst all kinds of plants now the problem is, these other plants, he says, are weeds. Have you ever dealt with weeds in your flower beds, in your yard? If I didn't have Jimmy Ebright, I couldn't walk in my yard. There's so much thistle in that grass, you know? It just it takes over our yard. And in fact, Jimmy told me to stop pulling it up because if you pull it up, there's little feeder roots on those roots. That Then when I pull that up, all those feeder roots stay in the, gro- in the ground and seven more will come if I pull one out. What am I supposed to do? Keep, you know, having Jimmy treated, I guess. Okay? You see, weeds don't want to just coexist. They want to dominate the space. And what this person is dealing with, who has this, is, as he says there in verse uh, 15, they are those who hear, but they go on their way, and they're choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life what really the energy of their life is channeled to. Now think about this. If your heart has energy that brings life, where it's being channeled to is things I need to worry about and things I need to pursue to find comfort. Avoiding pain and finding comfort. That's where the channeling of all the energy goes. And so you've got the growth here of Christianity. You've got faith growing, but all of your life energy is going to Avoiding suffering, avoiding discomfort, and finding comfort, pleasure. And avoiding the cares, or dealing with the cares of life. It has a divided heart. This person loves Christ, but equally is fixated on avoiding difficulty and finding pleasure away from Him. So we've got listening with a hard heart, a shallow heart, and a divided heart. But the last one is this. And as for that in the good soil... They are those who, hearing the Word, hold it fast with an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. He says it's into the soil. Real penetration. This test is pretty easy. He says that they will eventually, after holding fast, bear fruit. They bear fruit. Now notice the condition. When did he say fruit would come? At the end, the very last part of that. He says they bear fruit with patience. Patience. I think sometimes in our Christian walk we're so concerned about what people think of us that we drive quickly to a Hobby Lobby and buy fake fruit and hold it out like we've got the fruit of the Spirit figured out and it's just plastic, it's not real. Bearing fruit requires planting the seed and watering it and letting sun come and treating it well and pruning it and after years and years of maturation you begin to enjoy the sweetness of its fruit. It takes time to bear fruit. That's the test. But what's the fruit, right? So what fruit does God want us to produce? Well, he says in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What he wants us to be growing in is not just in production in the kingdom, but becoming the image of Jesus Christ. Growing in our patience and our love and our grace and our self-discipline and our faithfulness. Growing in those areas. And after a significant time of hearing the word by faith, you'll see yourself becoming more godly. That's what it means to listen with a good soil. So how are we going to hear? So if you're like me after listening to that, you're like, well, I'm not always the fourth soil. I've got a bunch of rocks still in my heart, and I've got a lot of thorns. I've got a lot of weeds still in there. What are we supposed to do? So if you're like me and you're not always soil number four, this good and honest heart, and you're not always holding fast with consistency, the word by faith, what are we going to do? He said there are two things, two things were attributed to the good soil that helped it bear fruit. The first one is that it, hold, it held fast to the seed. And the second thing he said was it was honest and good soil. And what we have to remember is that in those two elements, holding fast and then being honest and good soil, only one of those in Jesus' language is within the power of the soil. Okay? Only one. That one is holding fast. That means to keep it. So when we receive the word, that means to grab hold of it and hang on to it and to stick with it and to consider it deeply and to think about it, to reflect on it, to spend time with it, to bury it deep within your soil and say, I won't let go of it. This means in the morning when we spend time in Scripture that we come across something, we think about it, and we won't let go of it throughout the day as we think for the rest of the day about it. Or as we come across Scripture, we don't just read it and check it off, but we meditate on it and ask, what does this mean about Christ, about God, about salvation, about me? How can I grow? This is how it works. The soil holds deeply onto the seed, and the soil waits with patience for rain to come and for sun. You see, the soil doesn't create the rain. The soil doesn't create the sun. The soil doesn't create the good times and the bad times. The soil holds the seed, and through the good times and the bad times, through the rain and the sun, the plant begins to produce. And so the soil's job is to hold fast to the seed deep within it. But the second thing that Jesus said was that the soil needs to be good, honest soil. I looked into that word all week. I thought deeply about it, because what does that mean? You know, Jesus, when he was approached about being good, said, Why do you call me good? There's only one. If we're told to be good soil, but then Jesus says, There's only really one that's good. My Father. What does this mean? I dug into this word, and what it really means is to be something, to be something that originates from God himself. Remember what happened in Genesis 1 in creation at the end of each day when God spoke and something happened. What did God say about that thing? This is good. You see, if you leave this building tonight and say, alright, I'm going to be good soil. I got this, God. I'm going to white knuckle this thing and I won't sin tomorrow and I got it all figured out and, and, you know, those things that I struggle, I'll never do them again, God. I promise, I swear, I'll never do anything wrong again, God, because I'm going to be good soil. It's not going to work. It's not. The soil doesn't own its own rake and rake out its own rocks. To be good means to be originate from God with God's purpose from God. And so, it means to be natural and pure goodness from the inside out. And this can only come from God. You see, the soil doesn't remove its own rocks and its own weeds. That job belongs to the gardener. Your job as a soil is to hold fast the Word. And when you see rocks and when you see weeds, you go to the gardener and you ask Him to take them away, to get rid of them, to remove them not just from your behavior but from your life. And so when you go to the gardener, as I know many of you, like me, have rocks and have thorns in your life, what are we supposed to do? We go to the gardener, Jesus Christ, and we say, I've got rocks in my life. I've got struggles. I've got thorns that catch me up, that choke out my fruit in my life. I'm not as patient and loving as I want to be. I want to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Can you get rid of these thorns and get rid of these rocks? And Jesus Christ, and we ask Him to get rid of those. And when you go to Him, and ask him to take your thorns and take your rocks, here's what he'll say. Finally, you've asked. I've been waiting. You see, child, I took your thorns, and I wore them in my brow. And I took your rocks out of your soil, and underneath them they buried me. And after three days, I came out of those rocks without a single thorn still in my head. I took them away. And the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ removes rocks and it removes thorns. Your own will, apart from the strength of God, will not get rid of your rocks and your thorns. You've got to go to Jesus. You've got to see Him for what He's done. You've got to see Him for the beauty in which He is. And as you see Him wearing your thorns and being buried under your rocks those things begin to come out of the soil and you become that pure and that good soil ready to produce fruit. The gospel message is not the gospel message is not the message you must hear to be saved only. It's the message Christians must continue to hear to be sanctified the rest of their life. You see the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z of Christianity. Paul said, "I preach unto you the gospel on which we Do you know? On which we stand. You don't leave the gospel the rest of your life. You don't stop going to Calvary and seeing Him at the cross. You don't stop seeing Him buried in a tomb, hopelessly dead. And you don't stop seeing Him resurrected that says, I take dead things and make them alive again. And then you bring that back to your life and say, I've got rocks and I've got thorns and I'm dead oftentimes inside. And He says, I bring dead things back to life. That's what I do. And at the cross, he takes your thorns and he takes your rock. You know, something I love about my job is that it's very, very simple. Like you could describe my job in one sentence. It's, it's to teach people the gospel. That, that's my entire life. But at the same time, it's so complex and so fun. Every week I meet with people and I talk with people. And I know before I meet with them and they say, hey, can I meet and talk with you? Sure. I know before I ever talk to them that what the answer is, it's the gospel. It's always the gospel. But it's not so simple as I could just, you know, shoot them a text and say, hey, I don't know what you're struggling with, but it's the gospel. So just, you know, figure it out. I'm trying to figure out a way to do that. You know, just say, I'm on the seventh green. Can you just wait? It's the gospel. You know, I haven't figured that out yet. But that's that would remove the joy of my work. But here's what it is. I sit down with people and you listen. And you hear about their rocks and their thorns their struggles. And you walk them through understanding specifically the gospel, how it applies to their life. How Jesus Christ applies to their life. And you watch life be born in their eyes. That's what it's about. The gospel has to change your life. And you've got to listen to that message constantly. I'm constantly trying to teach people to preach the gospel to themselves so they'll be listening to him and stop listening to the message of everybody else. What kind of listener are you? Are you hearing By faith, the message of the cross that will remove your rocks, remove your thorns, soften your soil, and are you holding fast the word so that you'll grow? That's the way of salvation. Let's help you if you need help tonight. Come as we stand and sing.